0: Hello and
1: welcome to another edition of The Rest is Entertainment with me Marina Hyde
2: and me Richard Osmond. It's nearly Christmas.
1: It is very nearly Christmas. Really. I don't
2: know if that's going to be news to our listeners. I mean it depends when they're listening. They might listen a week later in which case oh it was just Christmas.
1: It was just Christmas. Yeah. Well, either way I we're breaking something here.
2: Yeah, exactly. Breaking news. You went to Winter Wonderland at the weekend.
1: I did. How I was, was in that? the 10th circle of hell. It was you know Go in early and, and leave early. Um, it's like invading a country, I would have said. But yeah, it's a, we got out there with, I think, our dignity intact.
2: So great advice for Winter Wonderland and great foreign policy advice <laughs> as well. I spent my weekend watching, firstly, loads of Christmas movies on Hallmark, which we'll talk about later, uh, and secondly, watching Michelle Moan, thinking that being interviewed by Laura Kunzberg was a good idea, which maybe we'll cover at some point. She is
1: some kind of monster, and I'm fascinated by her.
2: Well, someone uh, showed a clip saying, what was she like when she was on Pointless Celebrities, and showed a clip, and I had no idea she'd been on Pointless Celebrities. I could not remember it. It was from a long time ago. It was pre-beard. Mine, not hers. (laughs) But I watched it. She was getting something badly wrong. So people, lots of people were uh, were tweeting it.
1: Really need to call that episode up. Okay. All right. Very good. We're also going to be talking about phone hacking. Prince yep. Harry's uh, partial but really quite significant victory against Mirror Group newspapers for phone hacking. And we're also going to be talking about the Netflix data which has been released after people begging for about a decade by Netflix which shows data on 18,000 of the titles available on their platform and it's called What We're Watching Report and it's a really fascinating look and we're going to talk about why it has happened and what it means.
2: And try and make that interesting as well. <laughs> Yeah, so it all came out, a data dump, I think yeah. uh, you'd called it. A lot of information, it's like one of those things when you know a government department releases like a 15,000-page report because they know that no journalists are ever going to read it. And this felt a bit like that. There's 18,000 shows. But what do you think the main takeaways from it were?
1: I think the main takeaway, that, that this has been done by Ted Sarandos, who's the Netflix CEO, okay, is the streaming wars are over, kids, and Netflix have won. Once you see all of this stuff... The fact that they are releasing it now, they're doing it to say to any of their competitors, try having an advantage over this because you won't. You just simply won't.
2: Good luck, Paramount Plus. Yeah,
1: good. Good luck, many of these other ones. It's quite interesting what's happened to Netflix over the last few years, because obviously, first of all, let's go do a quick reminder of ourselves that they were originally a DVD service by post. And actually, a lot of people via Netflix got into that idea of box sets. And so they've pioneered once they came to actually be be a streaming service. They pioneered that kind of binge watching model where they drop all the episodes of something at once because they understood that the audience was there for that. And so... They have gone through quite a big sort of weird journey in the last few years. During the pandemic, there was a point at which they were more valuable than ExxonMobil. (laughs)
2: I'd agree with that.
1: Uh, yes. I use uh, them more. Yeah. They, well, they, well, do you? We don't really know how much we use.
2: ExxonMobil. <laughs>
1: petroleum products. But then there was a sort of market correction, and people loved calling it a market correction because they thought being really euphemistic, and they were kind of saying, yeah, yeah, Netflix is really – they're not done for, but they're not nearly as big as they thought. But actually now when you see this, I'm afraid that it's quite clear that Netflix have one, and they are stronger than anybody, and nobody else can really compete with it. They are really the world's first global TV channel – 30 out of the top 100 shows are Korean and Spanish. And part of that is a function. They have a very weird metric. I don't know what you think about this, Richard. They measure an in individual hours watched.
2: Yes, so it's a huge advantage if you're a long-running show. If you've got 10 yeah. episodes and you're up against a one-episode thing, then you're going to get 10 times as many viewers, which slightly skews the... There's yeah. various people have have, have written the, uh, the list. So I think top of the list is The Night Agent. Yes. There's a lot of very, very mainstream...
1: It's, it's the stuff shows that Broadcast the Network TV used to put out.
2: Exactly that. You can probably watch it while you're looking at something else on your phone. It's not the big kind of think pieces and the, the big sort of billboard shows that uh, they always promised they're going to do. So Ginny and Georgia...
1: Which That's like a Gilmore Girls, yeah, reboot or not reboot. It's a sort of effectively like a Gilmore Girls sort of ripoff. People don't haven't even heard of this show, and yet it is enormous. But I think it taps into something which I notice a lot, which I find quite sad in a in a way. When I talk to a lot of teenagers and I, say, you know, what are you watching? They say, "I'm watching Gilmore Girls. I'm watching Grey's Anatomy. I'm watching Friends." These shows came out how long ago before before you were born? That turn of the millennium mood. Obviously, there's been a lot of Y2K stuff in fashion, but there's a turn of the millennium mood about a lot of these big Netflix shows, which are, you know, what people are watching and about the movies that are really big on Netflix. You know, you've got like Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston, kind of romantic comedies.
2: Insanely middlebrow. Yeah. Which I quite like. And interestingly, these uh, ratings are for the first six months of the year. This six months of the year, which will come out soon, number one will be a five years old series of Suits.
1: Suits has been this phenomenal story because Suits is was originally, I think it was, there was a, there's, there's some sort of channel in America, I can't even remember, it's called like the USA channel or something like that and Suits was made for that and it starred not actually in a leading role contrary to what you might have assumed if you've never watched it, Meghan Markle before she uh, embarked on her new life. I've heard of her,
2: I've heard of her. Yeah,
1: <laughs> we'll come to her later. I've done,
2: I've done my research. Yes,
1: uh, and and But Netflix licensed it and it was the runaway hit of the summer.
2: I mean, repeatability is an absolutely huge thing. And of course, it doesn't cost a huge amount for Netflix to li- license that show. Much cheaper than, you know, making Stranger Things or something. And you get bigger ratings for it. I think in the New Year show, when we talk about 2024, I want to talk about why certain shows get cancelled on the BBC and why certain ones... Don't I think like doctors and question the sport are both yeah. in council, but it all it comes back to the same thing. But it's fascinating the long tail that, uh, that that Netflix shows what you can do with a with with a long running, very middle brow, very watchable television show. Which that's what television used to be,
1: and they need that though. They need that between their originals. They they can't make it work unless they have lots and lots and lots of this stuff. One of the interesting things I think that they have done is. I've seen someone once describe them as a sort of universal adapter. And also now lots of young people watch TV with subtitles on the entire time anyway. Yeah. So they don't mind so much watching foreign language things. So this is what, you know, Squid Game could never have been this successful when I was growing up in like the 90s. It just it just wouldn't have been a thing because people just didn't really watch subtitle content in that same way. It would have way. been
2: a cartoon Squid Game. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't
1: it? But as for why Netflix have done this, I think they've been quite disingenuous. Ted Sarandos has said, "Oh, you know, it was quite clear that talent weren't happy." Now, ta- there's lots Ooh. of reasons why talent why it haven't been happy, because, and I'm a member of the Writers Guild of America. The WGA had a strike earlier this year, as did um, SAG. SAG after the, uh, the screen act writer, screen actors rather. And what pe- part of that was about residuals? Now, residuals are basically success based royalties for your TV show, and a lot of people said tell us if our shows are hit. We don't even know on streaming if it's really a hit. And if it is a hit, pay us more. And actually what the WGA finally got them to agree to, the streamers, is that like six people are going to be shown a little bit of data in a room, six people from the WGA with these incredible kind of cast iron contracts. And on that basis, they will be able to work out a slight success-based residual for streaming. The reason Ted Sarandos has not done this is not because of that. I think that this will actually enable Netflix to pay less for shows because creators will told, where else can put your show around the world? Where else can platform it in this extraordinary way? And I actually think they'll end up paying less for
2: shows. The interesting thing is, I think actors and directors and producers have loved not knowing what their ratings are. My entire career in TV, <laughs> you get the overnights the next day, and it yeah. makes or breaks a television show. So loads of times you've done a show, and you know the next morning that no one's watching it, you're not going to do another series of it. And with Netflix, you don't, you don't know that. And when they're saying, we want to be told viewing figures, well, listen, if, if you've got a successful show, you will be told the viewing figures. And no, no one can prove otherwise until now. As a behind-the-camera person, I think it's a real shame. It's been lovely for five <laughs> lovely years. Lovely not to know. That people, they had one week in um, ITV where, where the overnights broke down. And no one could see the overnights. And footballers' wives had just come out. And they didn't know that it rated incredibly badly but had amazing reviews. And so suddenly everyone loved Footballer's Wives. And the next week they understood that no one had watched it. But by that point, there was enough momentum behind yeah. it that it went on for, for, for many series. So sometimes not knowing the uh, not knowing the ratings not is, is, is rather nice, isn't it? It's you interesting um, that very few British shows on the list, probably Black Mirror and Top Boy, yeah. pretty much the only one, and, and the Luther movie, which does incredibly well. But when you think about the shows that people talk about, there's not a lot of them on this list. No. You know, I saw someone tweeting the other day about how You is a huge show and he'd never heard of it this is a TV writer. Mm. And you think I mean You is a that's a massive show and Asimov fears and that's number sort of 3 on the list if you count all the series together. Uh and the biggest launch they've ever had, Wednesday. Yeah. Which I I didn't see. Which Tim Burton did. It's based on Wednesday Addams.
1: Yes, I mean I have seen it. I, I thought it was really overrated, but they almost didn't give it a second se- season until it became suddenly. They thought, okay, they weren't going to give it a second season. That's the thing that Netflix does as well, which is that they will just happily, well, we're going to talk about this yeah. later, and walk away. Um, but they they weren't at all sure on Wednesday, but it became such a massive hit. But it's again, it's that I think almost of as a, of teen content. They do a lot of that sort of teen content that kind of hangs around the. Like the original, uh, the CW was a network and it had lots of sort of teen content. They had things like One Tree Hill, Smallville, which was a really big show for them. They didn't have Dawson's Creek, but it was kind of like that. They ended up having Gossip Girl a bit later. There's a lot of content on Netflix that's like that, that's meant for teens and meant for people who have those family subscriptions. Which is probably the last thing I will say on this is this is very clearly done by Ted Sarandos because he wants to build their ad tier. At the moment, they've got sort of two hundred seven. I think they've got. 250 million-odd subscribers, and only 15 million of them are on the advertiser-funded tier, and they'll want to grow that because they think they can get many, many more subscribers if they bring them into that. So being able to give advertisers this data and saying, look at us, is great for their business.
2: And another headline is there's a huge disconnect between the shows that people talk about and the shows that people are actually watching. I don't remember ever having a conversation about Night Agent. I don't remember ever having a conversation or even hearing about Ginny and Georgia, which, if you put the series together, is the biggest show in the world. You know, Bridgerton's in there, but it shows that people are not speaking about. No one's talking about suits over here. No. You know, everyone's talking about Succession.
1: I interviewed Jesse Armstrong, creator of Succession, this um, summer, and he is the first to say, you know, I've never really made high-rating shows, which there seems such a disconnect in that because obviously Succession was such an enormous show this year and obviously the, the last four seasons but these are shows that make that win huge numbers of awards they completely dominate the cultural conversation you know when the big event happened if you haven't managed to catch season four of Succession, i'm not doing any spoilers but when the big event happened uh it was covered on the front page of the daily mail um as a, as a, as an obituary and, and there was sort of 15 think pieces on the bag that cousin greg's girlfriend had taken to <laughs> inappropriately to Logan Roy's birthday party and
2: yet it gets lower ratings than Celebrity Antiques Road Trip it,
1: it, it's extraordinary um, and this is this is the sort of disconnect um, and this is the disconnect with, with kind of popular shows and with I suppose shows that dominate the awards and dominate the kind of cultural conversation
2: it's lovely to have both though in fact can, yeah, I, can, I, can absolutely. I talk very briefly about terrestrial TV now we've talked about Netflix please do we were watching the, the Strictly final oh. uh, on Saturday uh, crying throughout best series
1: go- ever For
2: me. Best final ever. Yeah. And I just thought it's two hours of absolutely extraordinary television. And again, we talk a lot about succession and slow horses and stuff like that. But this is Saturday night, light entertainment, shiny floor. And it is done so brilliantly by so many amazing people. Everything there from choreography, lighting, hair, makeup. Everyone is at the top of their game. Everyone's going the extra mile. And for one reason only, that's to put on a show. And that's to put on a spectacle. And to put on a spectacle for families, for generations of people. They don't have to do it, but they do do it. And I think that's why I got into television because uh, television to me, it is family and home and safety and all of those things. And if you don't have those things, it's dreams and it's ambition and it's it's, it's all that stuff as well. So I just wanted to mark it by saying to everyone who made Strictly, Well done, because it was absolutely terrific. It brought a lot of people together, and a world of a lot of cynicism. Nice to see a bit of magic.
1: I found myself quite emotional in that speech. That was very lovely, Richard, and I agree.
2: And no, I wouldn't do it. (laughs) Would you?
1: No, I couldn't. No, no,
0: no. Uh, Should we go for a little break? Yes.
2: Welcome back to The Rest is Entertainment. Now, there was a little story this week in the press involving uh, the husband of Meghan Markle from Suits, Prince Harry.
1: Prince Harry, might know him as Prince Harry. He bought a case against the mirror group of newspapers alleging that he and those around him were hacked and um, stories were published which were based on unlawfully obtained information. Now the judge, Mr Justice Fancourt, has found in favour of Harry's claim that he or someone around him was hacked. In about half of the incidents he suggested, I think it was 15 out of 33. When we're talking about this case, we have to be very careful for a number of reasons. Many people involved in it have issued denials or forms of denials, and it is currently still active in lots of ways because Prince Harry still has cases against newsgroup newspapers, which is... the. Publishers of The Sun, formerly the News of the World, obviously now defunct as a result of phone hacking. The Times, the Sunday Times. He's also got a case against associated newspapers with the publishers of The Mail and The Mail on Sunday. And both of those will come next year, as will a drama by the prolific and brilliant dramatist Jack Thorne for ITV on phone hacking. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't think that many people know that, but it's coming out and it's based on uh, Nick davis's book hack attack now hack attack if we go back i shall give you a little bit of background into um phone hacking nick davis was the guardian reporter whose stories about phone hacking really broke the scandal open but what happened was that in 2007 there was a royal reporter and that's very significant at the news of the world a guy called clive goodman and he was jailed for basically this illegal interception of voicemails and a couple of other things in 2007 and the editor of the time of the News of the World, Andy Coulson, resigned. It sort of felt like it was one bad apple. They made it sound like it was one bad ha- apple. By the way, I worked in tabloid newsrooms, started as a secretary on The Sun, and I ended up also working at the Sunday People very briefly. Well, relatively briefly like I more can, than 20 can, years ago I can now. see that. I used to work at The Guardian and The People. So I would work Monday to Thursday in The Guardian. And then on Fridays, I went to The People, which was... Contrasting.
2: Wow, is, is there anything you could pitch them both?
1: Not a lot, I have to say.
2: Bono's got a podcast yeah.
1: <laughs> nowadays. That would probably yeah. straddle the boundary. Uh, that the yeah the boundary. But so Clive Goodman was jailed in two thousand and seven. But. In 2009, The Guardian, um, which is the paper I worked for and worked for at the time, started running stories on phone hacking, which was a practice that was sort of known about but hadn't really been covered. And because newspapers operate in a sort of a murder and they don't like to um, offend the rest of the club, it really wasn't picked up by that many people, Nick's story, and he carried on with it, but anyway. And funny enough, I was talking to him about it, some time later and he said the editor asked me what I was going to do next and I said I'd quite like to I quite fancy going to the EU I think there's quite a lot of corruption in the EU I'd like to go out to Brussels I'd like to report on the EU and he was all set to do that when News International basically said this is completely exaggerated all Nick Davis's stories blah blah they were all made, you know they not, it wasn't anything like an industrial scale like he said this didn't happen and he just thought Huh? What? Well, hang on. Yeah. Hang yeah. on. Leave, so he, he,
2: he thought, "I'll leave the EU for a while. That's going to be there for a long time. That's going to be there. That- that's not. That's not going anywhere. <laughs>
1: I'll
2: go back to finance." And again.
1: he went back to it, and he dug, he dug he started digging again, and it was in that second tranche of stories about it that it was reported by Nick Davis and Amelia Hill that. Millie Dowler, a schoolgirl who um, disappeared and was later found to be murdered, while she was disappeared, the News of the World had hacked her phone. And that was the story that just took it completely mainstream. That was the lightning rod. Just an unbelievable sort of wave of public revulsion. It, it became clear that it had been done to almost everybody, phone hacking. I have to say that it's really hard thinking back to that time because it was done to absolutely everybody. It was the editors' phones were hacked, other journalists' phones were hacked. My phone was hacked. Um, oh,
2: what did they find out? I don't know, but Dentist all my messages had
1: always been listened to. Really? Always. If they'd had the mobile number of Rupert Murdoch, they would have done it to him. And it's really weird to sort of think back to that time because I suppose the big irony of phone hacking is that the little bits of tittle-tattle that they gleaned from it were of nothing importance. The really big story is that there was a criminal enterprise as part of one of the sort of pillars of the establishment, I suppose, the press against other people in public life. And it was massive and it was widespread. That was the era. Phone hacking was the era Divining story all along. Not some stupid argument Prince Harry had with his girlfriend or Kylie Minogue had with her boyfriend.
2: Piers Morgan, who was at the Mirror when this was all happening, has issued a very, very vehement denial, very carefully worded denial. He has admi- He's ad- admitted in print and, 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 and in interviews that he knew what phone hacking was. He knew how it was done. He had heard messages that that had been attained in that way. But he is saying that I, it was nothing to do with me. I never commissioned any. I suspect he's not going to back down. I suspect Harry is not going to back down because he's fired up by the fact that his mother was killed. And he thinks that the press were somehow complicit in that. So he's never going away.
1: It's made me think a lot about that sort of groupthink where it's, hard to explain, but a lot of those people will have thought that they were sort of doing God's work and that someone, this is how odd it is, not telling them that they've had a miscarriage or not wanting to discuss their cancer treatment means that they are lying to the journalist and that lie, consequent, I hope you can hear the sarcastic air quotes here, but I'm putting them in, and that that lie needs to be exposed. And it's made me think a lot about how a kind of herd, awful groupthink can result in people just doing really criminal things by any means necessary to get, I mean, really completely ridiculous stories.
2: And I think in the 90s and noughties, the newspapers were sort of the masters of the universe in a lot of ways. There's, they were awash with money, circulations were high, very different to now, where essentially they're, they're sort of click farms, and they know they are as well. So I think then, you know, they were riding high, and anyone coming into that newsroom, you sort of fit into the culture that's there. And I genuinely think that a lot of the people who were involved think they are innocent. They're able to say, I did nothing, because in their heads, they think they did nothing. Uh, Or they think that what they did was fair game, because it's what everybody else did. And it was the culture at the time. And I think they think it would be very unfair for me to go to prison.
1: It's it's really fascinating. He's got this sort of kind of kamikaze mission and whatever you think of Harry, and I often think he's a kind of complete pain, but you can kind of understand how he got that way. Yeah. This is there's something quite heroic about this. They found the one person yeah. because so many people for quite rightly, by the way, this is no shade on anyone who's settled out of court for phone hacking. Absolutely. Not going to court is one of the best things you can ever do in your life. But this he will not back down. And so it's sort of fascinating to he's stuck in a lot of cases because the evidence is not what we might wish it, Richard. The evidential picture. I think uh, News International had an a, a unexplained sort of email deletion the day before they handed all their stuff to the police. I, oh, what are the chances? It's like
2: Boris and Rishi's WhatsApps yeah. all over and, again. And,
1: and and mirror groups have had a huge deletion. And um, obviously the police at the time, a little bit like the old Death of a Spinal Tap drama, sort of felt it best left unsolved. Because, of course, there's a big revolving door between former police chiefs being given kind of columns in, um, in particularly in the case of Murdoch newspapers but also there, were, there was a significant amount of payment between the police and journalists yeah, and there, 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 there the were years. police
2: officers arrested there were NHS workers arrested there mm. were people from all sorts of uh, places that might have access to private records arrested at the time as well but again so,
1: best left unsolved it always seems Yeah, <laughs>
2: exactly. so the,
1: the one thing I do think is interesting in terms of what this story means and where it's taken us in terms of something quite simple which is entertainment journalism and you mentioned um Andy Coulson, Piers Morgan actually when they were celebrity showbiz reporters this sort of practice of phone hacking didn't exist they were of a different generation of people who had to get uh, stories and scoops and scandals and if you like stories and scoops and scandals which I do quite like the marmalade droppers you had to go out to parties, you had to meet people, you had to make friends with people and you had to hope, there'll always be people who want to sell stories for revenge or for um, money but otherwise there are people who want stories in the press for one reason or another or you can just try and track it down in the old fashioned way and there was a generation of reporters who could do that and you got some, you had sort of fascinating and fun stories often but after that the phone hacking thing, you had an entire generation, I'm not saying every entertainment journalist at that time was involved in phone hacking but There was a whole generation of um, entertainment reporting that was essentially based on phone hacking. And instead of making contacts and going out and speaking to people, they wandered in this kind of predatory and obviously violatory way through people's electronic private lives. And then everyone had sort of forgotten how to be showbiz journalists. And what came straight after that was the advent of social media. And you could see celebrities put things about their own lives on social media and journalists essentially just wrote them down and never left the office and didn't meet people and wrote things that happened on Twitter or happened on other platforms. And now that's it's been completely hollowed out. We don't have, you don't have those marmalade dropper exposures. You have The big stories of the year are often things that are in the public domain or that celebrities are put in the public domain themselves or that are based on some sort of argument that might have happened in the public domain or a form of cancellation that people will have seen something someone said and not tolerate it, but that it will all have been done in public. You don't really have those sort of stories anymore. Um, and I think they've been, it's been forgotten how they were done and it f- feels of another time that they even existed.
2: The only echo through the ages, two words, Colleen Rooney.
1: Do you think how how do you think what do you think? I think she's super, but tell me why you think. Oh no, it's great. Yeah.
2: I don't know. I think it's fantastic. But that you know, she she would have stopped that, you know, years she you know, she could have well, said celebrities
1: knew phone hacking was happening to them, but they couldn't do anything about it because it was impos it was very difficult to prove. And I mean, you know, some of these people are some the stuff that people said I mean, I know somebody who once went into their editor's office at a tabloid newspaper and saw that person with two phones in their hand, at their own editor's desk, which was the means by which most of the phone hacking was done. I mean, stay classy, boss, doing it in the editor's chair. Another friend of mine said, "I mean, a lot of these people are people who gave me a written warning for having a cigarette break." <laughs> so, and how
2: did they find out about that? Yes, is my question.
1: But it ha- you know, you have to say that journalists exposed this. The Guardian, Nick Davis, exposed yep. that, and so. Whilst it was obviously a terrible and black moment, and it's still ongoing because it, it just won't go away. Um, I wonder if what, what, what will, how it will ever play out in the end. But I think it's getting tougher and tougher for some people.
2: Yeah, I think some chickens are going to come home to roost in 2024. Anyway, Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, <laughs> and talking of Merry Christmas, it's the last podcast before Christmas. There is one coming out on uh, on Boxing Day, but I wanted to talk about Christmas movies, uh, and more specifically. I don't mean Elf and It's a Wonderful Life and all these great things, but this extraordinary industry that's built up in the last 10 years of Hallmark and Netflix Christmas movies, all of which pretty much have the identical plot.
1: Yeah, the old Christmas industrial complex, Richard. It is an arms race, and it's bigger and bigger every year. Did you know that this year Hallmark are now doing something... Hallmark, which obviously started as a greetings card company and then eventually moved into kind of, um, I guess, schmaltzy movies. They've got something called Christmas Con.
2: Christmas Where, Con.
1: Yeah, Christmas Con. It's modelled on Comic Con. They've got it in New Jersey this year. And the stars of the Hallmark Christmas movies are there. And you can go and... It's like a fan convention. And you go and meet the people who are in essentially only Hallmark movies because it's such a treadmill. Uh, and, and, it's a, and that in, in itself is really big business.
2: And by the way, most of them have been in the shows we were talking about earlier, One Tree Hill and Gossip yeah. Girl and all that. Yes. Um, so the basic plot is almost always uh, high-flying... Woman who's a executive, and so, and so you think, okay, this is nice, this is progressive, but this high flying executive will go to a small town, often where she grew up.
1: Yeah, she has to come back from the big city. Has to
2: come back from the big city. Her high school sweetheart is now either a baker or a candle maker, yeah, or somebody who makes snow globes. Uh, she essentially has to get some work done by Christmas or she's going to be fired. The ex partner. It was a high school sweethearts shop is undergoing financial yeah. problems and it's probably going to have to shut down. He's a
1: nice man, we should say. He's always a nice man. Yeah, and she. Oh
2: my gosh, she's so busy. Yeah, like there's stuff happening. There's like Christmas trees everywhere. Santa is going, and she's always on her phone
1: with her big city values.
2: With her big city values, yeah. You know, talking to her boss on the phone while you know kids are eating candy canes. Uh, but bit by bit, bit by bit, he manages to break her down and say, "Do you know what? I don't know if." Being a big city lawyer is what a woman should be doing. I wonder if you should be at home with your high school sweetheart and stay in this small town and forget your boss. And that, by and large, is what happens yeah. in an awful lot of these films. I also have to say that I love them.
1: I love them too. Yeah. I've, I've, I have to say, I, sorry. I if mean, you were, if you're hoping for agreeable yeah. disagreement on that point, I'm a huge fan.
2: They are incredible
1: structurally they're mesmerizing yes they are because they're done for ad breaks they're, they are a nine-act structure i don't know if anyone is very interested in this something sort of but this is the thing that i love most movies are sort of three-act structure they do a nine-act structure and actually the writers guild of america who often will send out materials like if you're trying to write something here's some advice will advise you on the nine-act structure <laughs> there will be an almost kiss at 18 minutes there must be Christmas in every frame. This is really crucial. So you will not see a single frame that there isn't some sort of bauble or, tin, you know, or some form of Christmas. And something. if you
2: watch enough of them, by the way, they reuse all so the same stuff. all the same trees, all the same baubles. I mean, every house looks at them. They look amazing. Oh, it's beautiful. Like you yeah. can't help. Every time they walk down the street, you just go, oh, it's yeah. Christmas.
1: They are unthreatening. But they are... Um, they're, actually one of the things that's always part of the formula is that they have a sort of fundamental, they have to have a fundamental disagreement about Christmas. They have differing views about Christmas. Maybe like it's a hassle that that needs to be got through, whereas yes, Mr. Candlemaker, candlestick maker, will love Christmas, and he's got all the time in the world for it.
2: Exactly, and he makes candles like on Christmas Eve, he does a special thing where the children of the village uh, come to see him, and the village will be called Candlewick. Uh, And all the children of the village will come, and he he, he he gives them candles for free. That's why he's losing money, you know? That's why he needs this woman to come and sort his business out. But, uh, yeah, he loves Christmas. She can't be dealing with it because, you know... She's got, you know, lawsuits to... to, to,
1: to yeah, but that aren't making her happy, Richard, that are not making her happy. Can exactly I, one. I say saw, that there is a strand, a royal yeah. strand, within yeah. this that I think call things like a prince for Christmas, Christmas with the prince. Yeah. They're often set in a fictional kingdom called something like Aldovia something. I saw one which was set in the fictional kingdom of Belgravia, <laughs> which... I'm not going to spoil it for anyone watching uh, those movies who doesn't think it exists, but it is there, and it's 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 probably it was less heartwarming than uh, at Belgravia of the Hallmark, Hallmark yes, there, world. Yes, there's
2: there's an awful lot of again high flying American female executives who go to Scotland, yeah. for a bit of peace and quiet. Did and, you see that
1: Carrie was one? Oh, Brooke Shields.
2: We literally watched it yesterday. That's <laughs> a Castle for Christmas. Uh, Brooke Shields. She's a writer. Yeah. Uh, she comes over to Scotland, and uh, she meets. Kerry Elwes, who's the duke. She doesn't realise at first. (laughs) She doesn't realise he's a duke. She thinks he just works on the estate. There is a little misunderstanding there. Kerry Elwes is Scottish accent by the way not bad no i think if i was scottish i would object to it but for a non scot it's it's not as bad as you think it's going to be i was i was looking forward to it being really bad i thought actually he 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 made a pretty good fist of it
1: only he makes an excellent fist they i've i've seen a, a hilarious one that i've only seen the trailer of sadly because i can't i can't seem to get it at the moment it's called christmas in notting hill now this wow. it, they want it to be notting hill meets ted lasso the footballer is called graham savoy <laughs> He really honestly sounds like he's been playing Prince William in The Crown. I think he's a Premier League player and she d- doesn't understand why everyone in Notting Hill, again, it's quite odd that he lives in Notting Hill, everyone in Notting Hill seems to know him. And this case, a sort of mistaken identity happens for, I imagine, up to almost 18 minutes in the movie where they're going to almost kiss.
2: The almost kiss, by the way, is always two people turning round at the same time and ending up an inch apart yeah. in a way you never, ever would do no. in your actual life. And but said, sometimes
1: we've all wished it would happen. So that's Christmas. With
2: Carrie Elwes.
1: Now, one of the things, who writes them? That is an interesting one for me because quite a lot of people, I was reading this woman who said, yeah, you know, I was a war correspondent for a long time in Bosnia, Afghanistan. I always used to sort of escape to Christmas movies. And in the end, I ended up writing one And uh, this this is a slight relate, not the Bosnia and Afghanistan bit, but my friend Will Smith and I, who Will is the showrunner of Slow Horses and writer, we had just finished working on a a show that took a very, very long time and was pretty exhausting and instead of just like going to bed after this show for some reason we hold up for about two or three weeks and we did an, an outline for a christmas movie which because he's been really busy with slow horses and i've been doing something else as well we, we actually looked at it the other day i'm like this is actually quite good
2: what's it called
1: <laughs> it's called escape from christmas i wow. yeah okay no i i'm absolutely I, up for yeah, that
2: i've um uh, can i can i guess in the end she wants to escape from Christmas in the end she realises actually what she wants to escape from is the pressures of her life and actually Christmas and the love of Christmas is the answer
1: well you know what that would have been absolutely it if it was a hallmark but it's not a hallmark so yeah I know I'm sorry
2: is it a a prisoner of war film (laughs) it's a
1: prestige Christmas drama it's a comedy it's a comedy it's more in the ones you were mentioning earlier Vane but yes it's reminded me thinking about hallmark movies this week that I need to get that one back out there
2: talking of uh, people closing down shops there was one we were watching, which is called Christmas Cookies. They're all called Christmas something by and large, or Marry Me at Christmas. Catering Christmas uh, was one we scrolled <laughs> past the other day. I thought, I don't know about that, Catering Christmas. <laughs> no uh, thanks. But Cookie Christmas, it's set in the town of Cookie Jar. Uh, and again, that's a businesswoman who, for some reason, she's very high powered, but she's been sent to Cookie Jar to shut down a cookie shop. which feels to me like something that you would get one of your local reps to do. But no, she's flown in from Denver or New York or something to shut down this cookie shop. You'll never guess what happens. She falls in love with the cookie maker, you know, and she realizes actually instead of shutting down the cookie shop, maybe she could use her skills to make money for the cookie shop. And she takes the, uh, the spirit of Christmas into her heart.
1: That is absolutely... that is I, I love that. They often start, the Hallmark executives, they think back from the title. Yeah. So they'll say something like, Christmas on the rocks or the rest is Christmas. And then someone will just have to come and like retrofit a yeah. plot to something that some guys have just been spitballing all afternoon in an office and come up with 30 of these things. They do actually put out 20 to 30 movies a year and they have this thing called Countdown to Christmas where a new Christmas movie gets released every day. And I should say that in the 2020 US election... More people watched the Hallmark Channel that night than election coverage on CNN.
2: Oh, really? Yes.
1: It's massive business. The amount of people who watch these Christmas movies yeah. is far more than even a big, a big Netflix show in that month.
2: What about a Joe Biden Christmas? <laughs> a
1: maybe Biden, next
2: year. A Biden with me. <laughs> there was one called a Single All The Way. Was there? That's a good title, isn't yeah. it? Um, I want to talk about a couple of the people who are in them because, as yes, you say, it's, it's often the same actors. Because it, it gives me the opportunity to read out a lot of the titles. So there's uh, Lacey Chabert who's in lots of them. She's in Matchmaker Santa, Christmas Mingle, A Royal Christmas, A Merry Scottish Christmas. She's in A Wish for Christmas. She's in The Tree That Saved Christmas, A Christmas Melody, Christmas in Rome, Christmas at Castleheart, and Pride, Prejudice, and Mistletoe. Oh my
1: god!
2: She also, by the way, is in The Sweetest Christmas. Aww. which has the exact same plot as A Gingerbread Christmas, which is an architect who teams up with a local baker to make a full-size gingerbread house to win a competition. <laughs> it's the same plot. Okay, the architect is quite stuffy and doesn't believe in the spirit of Christmas, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Candice Cameron Burr is in oh, yeah. Moonlight and Mistletoe, The Heart of Christmas, Let It Snow, Christmas Under Wraps, which is the biggest rating ever Hallmark yes. Christmas movie. Uh, a Christmas Detour, Journey Back to Christmas. I don't know if that's a sequel to A Christmas Detour. Uh, a Shoe Addict's Christmas... She's in Christmas town. Addicts Christmas. A Shoe Addicts Christmas. My God. What I have mean, they wrought? Come on, no The Christmas Contest, My Christmas Hero, and Tinker Tailor Soldier Christmas. That's <laughs> right. a, that last <laughs> one's a lie. Texting that last it in, a lie. not even phoning it that in. That last At one, one end, was a lie. Those... <laughs> we watched a good one yesterday called Xmas, but the X was like an X. Like a kiss? Uh, no EX oh, like, it was her ex oh I see yeah, yeah she came to her house and her, her, her ex was there and it was uh, with uh, uh, Leighton Meester from uh, oh yes from Gossip Girl Gossip Girl which is why Ingrid wanted to watch it yeah uh, and it was good it was really good but honestly if you haven't seen them listen you might hate them uh, where to start with these loads on Netflix loads on Channel 5 as well they've got a lot of the Hallmark movies Netflix have got them as well um I'd maybe look at uh, Falling for Christmas, which was the Lindsay Lowen Christmas movie from. There's a uh, from piece of CGI
1: year. in that. Is it CGI? It almost looks like it's done with tape and um, felt pens. I strongly urge you to have a look at that one. That's brilliant. Exactly. Yeah, Lindsay gets amnesia. Um, she gets, a, she gets she, she, like a lot of Christmas movies. It starts with a head trauma.
2: <laughs> like a lot of Christmases.
1: Yeah, that concludes another episode. Thank you so much to, for listening
2: to us. That, that catchphrase, well, that concludes another episode. Is really working. <laughs> So that that satisfactorily concludes another episode.
1: That's that then. (laughs) That's good. Thank you for joining us.
2: Um, And Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas Um, and
1: thank you so much for listening to us. Yeah,
2: I hope you have a lovely one. If Christmas is hard for you, I hope you have a peaceful one. But uh, we'll see you on Boxing Day for a a question and answer special. we've got some amazing questions.
1: Thank you so much for all your amazing questions. They are phenomenal.
2: Merry Christmas. Bye-bye.